welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I am Anthony Whitaker, and thank you for taking the time to tune in. One of the many things I love about social media, Instagram in particular, is the ability it gives us to connect and showcase our work and to be inspired by what other salon owners are doing all over the world. But let's face it, there is a lot of backs heads and beachy waves with balayage out there. But then occasionally, you come across interesting hair, beautiful haircuts, and a modern approach to all things in business, from sustainability to inclusivity, diversity, and everything in between. And it's so refreshing when you come across a feed like that. My guest on today's podcast is Raven Camacho, hairstylist and owner of the Raven Rose Salon in Austin, Texas. In today's podcast, we will discuss salon marketing, building a team culture, sustainability, and just generally getting to understand what makes Raven tick and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Raven. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. It's, I'm uh, very honored to be here. Well, I'm really excited about having you here today. I know you've got an awful lot to offer people after our, you know, sort of warm-up call. I know a lot of people are going to uh, relate to you and where you're from and what you're doing. But uh, before we get into anything, I just want to ask you about your name. Uh, I love your name, Raven. I think it's amazing. That is it your real name? Nope. It, it's, it's, uh, I just made it up about 10 years ago. <laughs> okay. Of course you did. <laughs> why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> okay. Well, Raven is a beautiful name and I think your goes with your surname as well too. So you obviously uh, chose your husband on purpose for his, uh, his surname. So Raven Camacho, it's great to have you on the Grow My Salon business podcast. So um, let's start by you introducing yourself. What, what's uh, your background? Who is Raven Camacho? Give us your sort of two or three minute backstory. Yeah, well, um, I guess I started in this career about 20 years ago now. Um, and I started in a really small town, worked there for probably four or five years, and then moved to Houston, which is actually where I'm from, where I grew up. Um, and then, you know, got a taste of the big city life again as an adult. And it was really fun building a clientele over there. And then um, I met my husband. And that's actually where Raven came into play. Um, my real name is Nicole, but wow. worked at this ginormous salon in Houston. Um, they kind of told me that you had to change your name. Uh, there was a lot of stylists there, like 50, and a lot of us had the same name. So that's where Raven came from. Um, and I literally just thought of it one day, but it stuck because I met my husband through mm. work. And so then we got married, moved to Austin, and we've been here about seven years now. Um, and then I opened Raven Row Salon about four years ago. Right. And it's okay. been a crazy journey, but it's been amazing. Cool. Well, let's let's dig into that. Uh, this is sort of part of 
a, a very loose series of podcasts that I'm doing where I'm trying to focus on what I'm loosely describing as comeback stories. So meaning, you know, post-COVID. And I, I really hesitate to say post-COVID because it's not post at all. We're sort of still in it up to our neck. And uh, I know a lot of salons have been hit really, really hard and others are doing much better than others. Uh, and some of them are doing better than what they've ever done before. So I don't want to sound un unsympathetic to those salon owners that aren't doing well, as I totally understand that some of it is out of their control. Um, so, you know, I get that. And I know that there are people that are, are really hurting out there. But um, um, how's COVID impacted on your business? Hmm. Um, I think if I had to, like, say a word, it's been more impactful on us, like, emotionally. Uh, yeah. Not so much physically or financially. Uh, we were, I think, as a business, we were really, in the last few years, striving to get to a place where we could overcome something like this without even knowing it was coming. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of eliminating the old school ways of running how most salons do with like double booking and working to the bone six days a week. So I think uh, we, were, we were prepared as much as we could be. And I think that helped. Um, but yeah. Uh, so we were, yeah. In, 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 in 2020, are you, a, are you ahead of where you were at the same time in 2019? You know, I think we're about where we, yeah, we might be a little bit ahead. I think June when we reopened was actually bizarre. One of the best months that we've ever had in yeah. the whole four years we've been open. Um, so I'm still trying to wrap my brain around all of it because yeah. every month is completely different. Um, yeah. So June was amazing, but July was not, you know, and then like now going on the holidays, it's like super busy and we don't know what to expect. So really, I feel like we've just tried to like kind of find our flow through the chaos and we're yeah. really, we're really busy and we're really grateful for that. Um, we've had a lot of amazing clients that have been super supportive. So that's helped a lot, but I would say I say we're doing we're, we're doing really well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I know you know from when we spoke the other day that that, that was the situation, and you know you're really lucky to be in that situation to be ahead of where you are now. Uh, to, to where you were this time last year. And uh, obviously there's a lot that goes into make that happen. Um, you, you sort of mentioned in the intro that you'd had uh, Raven Row, the salon for four years. Uh, did you buy an existing business or did you start it from scratch? Yes, I bought an existing business. Okay, so uh, talk to us about that. How was that? Uh, was it somewhere you worked already or did you? No, yeah, I was working just down the road, probably like a mile down the road. And me and my husband were shopping around trying to find a, we were planning on just building out a place. You know, we didn't think we would kind of stumble upon a place that would be uh, pretty ideal. Didn't think that would happen. Um, but Austin's growing and back then it was still growing. And it's really hard to find a good location, a good spot with everything that you want in it. Um, yeah. But I was working with uh, sort of like a, a financial business coach at the time. And he actually knew of this salon that was trying to sell, get out of the lease. And, um, you know, it just worked out. And he told me where it was and I knew exactly where it was. I've heard of it. It's just very close in the neighborhood. So I went over there and checked it out and I had to, you know, keep an open mind cause it was very dated and, you know, just nothing, but it had amazing bones and, um, yeah. So I bought an existing salon and it's been kind of a whirlwind. The first year was not like the second, the third was not like the last two and every year has been completely different, but 
uh, it's been pretty amazing. So. Okay. So, so how many uh, staff did it have when you took it over? Um, it was a rental salon. So they had, I want to say like seven, eight hairstylists okay. working there. Um, and then the owner ended up staying. So she was like the ninth. Um, and they all rented their booths um, while they were there. Okay, well, I bet that was interesting, having the yes. owner stay, plus everyone be rental. Um, it's not rental anymore, is it? No, we're all commissioned okay. now. Right, so so tell us about that transition, because there's always a story in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I, I mean, I, when I look back now, I'm like, oh, wow, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, mm. no idea at all. I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do, though. And that's mm. all I knew. And so I was going to just try to figure out a way to, to get out of it and to make it my own, you know, um, mm. cause you can paint the walls and you can add your own furniture and do all that stuff. But the, you know, the culture, that was what was missing. And it was, yeah. you know, why did I want to take over a salon and have the same salon that was already there? So, you, you know, change the name, but so, you know, slowly, but surely, um, I've started like, since we have 10 chairs, and I think I had like a chair or two available. So I hired like one stylist and I got a little taste for what that felt like to hire someone that I, I chose, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think eventually it was just, it was kind of interesting. I mean, it didn't really work out. I think because the owner didn't really tell anybody that I was taking over, you know, um, yeah. they just, I just walked in one day and was like, hi, <laughs> um, it's <laughs> They were roast salon now and they're like, excuse me. So it was interesting. I think we never really got off to a good start, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and it, and anyways, I don't even remember what happened, but one by one, they all just left. Um, yeah. And now I think they opened up a new salon somewhere else. So I think uh, it's, it worked out. It was well, a long with the, with, like, with the owner. They, they've all uh -huh. gone with the owner and collectively just opened up another salon. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they regretted it. I don't know. Maybe they saw what, what it could have been. I don't know, but we did turn it around and it, I feel like it's just um, been remarkable. I one by one in the last, you know, three years, I guess I would say um, started hiring commission stylists and working on that culture. And we've really gotten to a really great place where I feel like um, we're all on the same page, working towards the same things with the same goals and the same values and all that good stuff. So Good, good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I did a podcast recently, I think it came out last week, where I spoke about exactly this, you know, should I buy an existing salon or start one from scratch? And I've done both as well. And it's, it's you know, there's falls and against with both of them. And, and I know that uh, when I bought the existing salon that I bought, uh, it was exactly the same as the scenario you had, where the staff didn't know that the salon had been sold, you know, because obviously, you know, the owner doesn't usually want to tell the staff that the salon's being sold because then the value of the salon will go down because, you know, the staff go, well, I'm going to go too. I'm out of here. And so they go take all the clients with them. So that's one of the reasons they don't tell the staff. But then the problem is, is that when you walk in on day one, hi, <laughs> I'm Raven. <laughs> I'm the new boss. Um, people feel that they've been let down. They feel they've been, you know, um, yeah, let down. There's no other word for it. So often they're, um, they're very resistant to you. So no matter how nice you are, and I'm sure you're very nice, that they are not, they're going to sabotage you. They're quite happy with the way things are and they will resist all attempts at change. And so 
you're lucky if that transition went as smoothly as what you make it sound. And likewise, with owners that stay on, you know, uh, when I sold my business, they wanted me to stay on and uh, for a certain amount of time, which I did. But it doesn't always do them a favor, the owners, the fact that you stay on, because it's really hard for you as a boss when you stay on, if someone else has come in and they're trying to change things because the staff will still default to you to see what, you know, what your take on it's going to be. And it becomes a nightmare to try and, you know, grow that business. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't work. It, it can do for some people, but uh, buying an existing salon, you know, it, it, it has an upside for sure because you're buying into a cash flow, you're buying into an established premises with all the licenses, et cetera, you need. But, but the downside as well is, uh, you know, that you, that you are buying into an existing culture. And that was the word that you alluded to, that, you know, there was a culture and it wasn't your culture. It wasn't the way you wanted to do things. And when you try and change that, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. So um, let's let's uh, let me go back a little bit then and ask you this. So you were working somewhere else, uh, mm-hmm. up the road a mile away or something. At what point did you know, as a stylist, that for you it was the right time to open a salon? Uh, probably, to be honest, only six months to a year before that. Um, okay. I, when I moved to Austin. To be honest, I thought I found like my dream salon. It was like everything I ever wanted. Um, but then I just kind of outgrew it. And I didn't understand why. You know, I was like, I don't want to rent. I don't want to have a suite. I want to work with the team. We mm. did photo shoots and editorial work. And I really loved the whole vibe of the the team aspect of working um, in a salon with commission stylist. And I made really good money. And so, but then I just kind of started needing more things as I grew and I not, not money wise, but like I was just working too much and I wanted to stop double booking as much. And I wanted to have more assistance with my growth, I guess. And yeah. so that's where I realized that this is why most commission salons usually leave or, or stylists usually leave uh, because they just kind of outgrow where they're at. And then they just think, well, now I need to go rent. And then that's when I was like, well, why don't I just do this myself? <laughs> yeah. So um, that it was interesting because I, for like, at least 15 years, I always said, I never want to own my own salon. Like ever, mm. ever, ever. I just love the art of it. I love coming to work and doing the, the creative part. Uh, the whole idea of being a business owner just never was something I was interested in until just one day I woke up and was like, okay, well, I got to do it myself. And I feel like I'm in a good position now in my life to do it. So um, I, that's when we started looking and we you know drew up a business plan and, uh, I feel like the stars aligned a little bit and that's how I found this place. And, you know, with a whole lot of like TLC and culture changing, I feel like we finally got it to what I think I've always uh, like kind of dreamt of, you know, a a good commission salon that's not dated and has that old, old way of, um, you know, running. Yeah. Um, What, what, what is the, um, predominant business model in Austin? Is it rental salons or commission salons? You know, I don't know. I would say it's, I would say it's a lot of commission. Actually, there's a lot of commission salons. Um, They're everywhere. Surprisingly, but there are more and more and more uh, suites popping up, Uh like rental rental type salons. So I feel like it's evening out a little bit, but there are a lot of commission salons in Austin. Okay. What, What do you wish you'd known? before you opened a business? Mm, 
Oh God, everything. No, I, I think more than anything is learning how to manage people. Uh, mm-hmm. That that was something that I thought, you know, I've always been really good at getting along with my coworkers. So why can't I get along with everybody and also run the business and do everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think for the last four years, I've really dived into learning more about like leadership training. And that's where I found you and bought all your books and started listening to all your podcasts. And I feel like that was um, kind of an intro to me really figuring out, okay, I want to, I don't want to just have a salon where, how do I lead people to, to get to where they want to be? And that's Mm -hmm. where I needed to make sure I had the skills and, you know, the training to do so. So yeah, that's what I wish I would have learned a little bit before I would have started, but you know, I learned the hard way sometimes. Yeah, well, sometimes that's the best way to learn. So how, how many people do you have on your team now? Um, including front desk, there are 17, 17 of okay. us. Good. And, and yeah. is that sort of capacity? Yeah. We're, yeah. We've always kind of been over capacity. Uh, yeah. Never really had like every chair been full with just 10 stylists. We've always had more stylists, but they work part-time or they work three to, three to four days a week. Um, so yeah, we have more stylists than we do chairs. And now that we're working like every other chair, it's gotten a little tricky, but we've somehow managed to work it out. Yeah. Okay. So Melinda, my, um, business partner and wife, she was drawn to your Instagram and, uh, and your approach to everything because it was very female, um, but has a great energy about it. And it was very fresh and, and new and modern. I don't just, I don't mean modern decor necessarily, but it was just modern, you know, and, and, and it wasn't, um, you know, your Instagram feed wasn't full of beachy waves and balayage and the pictures of backs of heads, which Instagram is absolutely saturated with. Um, so in fact, it was quite the opposite, you know, to, to talk, to us about your ethos about hair and the, the way you sort of market and present your business, because it's all those things that Melinda said and more. And, you know, I spent a lot of time sort of going through your Instagram and your website and all that sort of stuff. And we've, we've never met, you know, personally, but I totally get what it was that, that she was inspired by. And, and I, that's what I'm inspired by as well. It's, it's modern and it's fresh. So, so talk to us about your, your thinking. Okay. Well, um, this is one of those things that I didn't really realize that I've always been sort of good at is kind of always, um, just always wanting to stay fresh, even with behind the chair before I owned a salon. And I remember like 15 years ago, trying to get people to embrace more of their natural texture when we were just coming out of that like flat iron stage where everybody just strained it to hell and back. Um, I remember trying to like get people to embrace what they have naturally and be a little bit more low maintenance because I was so sick of doing the like back to back foils and flat iron and everybody's hair was fried, you know? So I've always feel like I've always been trying to stay on that, you know, what's next, what's next. I also get really bored. And I think that um, helps me always want to to know what's next, what's coming next. Um, So, you know, if you scroll back on my Instagram, uh, like a couple of years, you'll see a lot of balayage and beach waves. And I did it so much that I couldn't do it anymore. Like, I'm like, Mm. I can't, I don't care if I have to just reinvent my whole entire clientele. I cannot do it anymore. And so, you know, and some people, some people are totally comfortable staying in that, like in that same specialty. I think 
I've always been more of a jack of all trades type of person. Although now I'm starting to realize specialty doesn't mean you have to specialize in one style of hair. Mm-hmm. You can actually specialize in the type of like clientele that you want. Um, so that's, that's something that I think I've learned a lot in the last year about kind of reinventing our business and really making sure that we're targeting people that we want, that we want in our chair. It doesn't matter what kind of hair they have. It's like, Mm. well, especially now during these whole COVID times, you know, you don't, you don't want people in your chair that are going to make you feel some type of way, right? You want them to respect your time and to, um, you know, be safe and come in and, and want something and want you to really be on the cutting edge and be progressive and always tell them what they should have on their hair and not just like be an order taker, you know, mm-hmm. where I found myself, especially with Instagram, kind of backing myself into a wall a little bit with only posting that one thing over and over. And I realized it didn't feel good anymore. And so I think it's very important to always be, you know, what's next. That's, you know, and staying, staying progressive and learning education is where you're going to be inspired most of the time. So, yeah, well, that, that, that's what really stands out to me on your, on your feed. When I started looking through it, um, is that you guys are really into cutting hair. Uh, and, and I know that that might be something that people go, yeah, well, they're hairdressers. What did you expect? Well, <laughs> that is, that is what I expect. But you don't see that much of it these days, unfortunately. And, you know, you've got lots of beautiful haircuts. And, and the other thing, you know, like sometimes there's only, the only word I can use for it is real. There's a real authenticity about your work. They're real people. They're real haircuts. You're really into texture. You're really into curly hair. But it's beautiful shapes that are cut in there. It, you, you can sort of... You can almost tell that they're done by women. And I know that you have got an exclusively female team, which I'm also curious about. Um, but but there's a beauty there that that women interpret. You know, like I've known lots of good hair cutters over the years, and I, you know, I've had my moment with a pair of scissors myself. Um, but sometimes you see haircuts and they might be clever, but they're ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If you're really honest, oh, that's a clever haircut, but would you do it on your sister? No. Do you know what I mean? Would you do it on your, your wife, your girlfriend, your mum? No. And, and I often refer to it as hairdressing porn, you know, that it's like it's haircuts for hairdressers for their, you know, their, their social media feed or whatever. But no client's ever going to walk in and go, oh, I want one of those, you know. And I'm not saying that's all bad because that sort of stuff does serve a purpose as well in terms of inspiring people, you know. But, you know, your work is, for me, you know, when I scroll through it, it's beautiful. There's lots of beautiful work there, beautiful haircuts on on real people. And there's a diversity about the people. And there's a diversity when I go through your team. You've got like, it's the United Nations on your team. You know, when I uh, look through the feed on your Instagram, it's the United Nations. And that's what I mean by it's so modern, it's refreshing, it's diversity, it's inclusive, uh, and I love all that. Uh, and and so, um, you know, talk to us more about it's like your whole marketing approach. Like I, you know, I saw on on somewhere now. I don't know whether this is now on your on your website or on your Instagram feed. How you you give clients plants to take home. You know, here you are at home where I'm talking to you over Zoom, and there's plants all around you. <laughs> when I when I look at the pictures on your website of your salon, there's plants everywhere. 
And even that, you see, I grew up in, you know, <laughs> I can remember at home living with my mom and dad but in the 70s. My mom had pot plants everywhere. I hated pot plants with a vengeance. But when I look at your salon or look at your home in the background, there's pot plants everywhere. But even that you've done in a sort of a cool, modern way, you know, and I love that. So, so, so talk to us about that. Yeah. Well, about the plants or about the... About just, everything. Just about how you think. You can start with the plants. What, what's the love affair with plants? What's that about? Uh, well, I think that started around the same time that I opened the salon, which is interesting enough. Uh, we bought this house like a couple years before the salon. And I think I was just like, you know, starting to have plants at home for the first time and realizing that I really liked it. And I think me and my husband both realized that it's one of the only times that we're like able to shut our minds off. They're very, you know, they can take over. And when you, especially when you're gardening outside, but, um, and it also became a kind of a sick addiction, to be honest. I mean, I've got a problem. I definitely can't <laughs> I can barely go like a week without buying a plant. It doesn't matter if I'm at the grocery yeah. store, I'll buy a little plant at HEB or, you know, it doesn't matter. So there's just so many amazing plant stores around Austin too. Um, but yeah, I feel like, I think that's part of me getting bored as well. It's very hard for me to commit to um, a picture on the wall but I can move my plants around every single day and change up the aesthetic. And, um, I never get bored that way. So mm. I think that's okay. those two things. I just love it. It's a lot of greenery. It also is great for the, for the air, you yeah. know, yeah. it's great for I've, I've not been to Austin, but I've <laughs> been told more than once that it is a little bit of a, a bit quite alternative for an American city. Um, yeah, so Texas. I'd love to, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to go there one day. Uh, okay, so, and I know another thing that you're big on is giving back um, mm -hmm. as a salon. And again, that's modern. Not everyone does that. You know, a lot of people say they do, but I know that you get quite involved in, in social causes. Even last year, I know you did a cut-a-thon, or was it this year? You did a cut-a-thon to raise money for Australian uh, bushfires and, and uh, all, all that period of time. So um, I think that's quite amazing. That, you know, that you just embrace all these things. I mean, you know, you're in Austin, Texas, the bushfires are in Australia and you're doing a, you and your team are doing a cut-a-thon to raise, raise money. So um, how did that go down? That was amazing. We, I mean, we, we kind of put it together last minute, maybe in a couple of weeks, because obviously we, once we found out about what was happening in Australia, we were just like, uh, I think we just worked with everybody at the salon and we're just a bunch of um, empaths. You know what I mean? We, we were like, oh no. So we just wanted to do this as a team. And then we opened it up for anybody else in Austin or surrounding area that wanted to come and also help. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of stylists from from all over come and also join the cutathon. And I think we raised, oh, I want to say it was like $3,500, almost okay, $4,000 um, in just one day. And so that was amazing to see like the power of like what coming together can actually do. And just by doing haircuts all day, um, yeah. having it be donation based was really cool because everybody can, can, can give what they can. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a learning, it's a learning lesson for us too in the future when we do, when we're able to have more um, of these is to really do that donation based because it, it's amazing. People are very generous and that's what yeah. helped us kind of make, uh, that thirty five hundred dollars. So good, good. Okay. So I, I know you're, you know, you've got a very, I know you're very proud of your team, and I know you put a lot of emphasis on building a team and building a culture. How do you do that? 
that like mm-hmm. if, I, if I'm a new salon owner and I'm listening to this and I'm wanting three tips, what are the three most important things I should be doing to establish a great team culture, um, no matter where you are in the world? Ooh, three. Well, I think one is just being very clear of what, you know, what you expect and, you know, being clear about what your core values are and making sure that your stylist and, you know, your whole team knows what those are and that they're also there, what they value, you know, you wouldn't want them to like not value what you value because then that, that won't work out. Um, but if everybody's on the same page, it's, it should be easier, you know, should be pretty easy. Um, and then just being also, I think, clear about what is not what like non-negotiable, like what is just not okay. So, you know, core values, non-negotiables, I feel like being clear on that. I think we we've done that, but post COVID or like coming back from quarantine, I feel like we, we did that again, just to make sure that we're all like, you know, it's been like three months that we've been closed. Let's all like make sure we're on the same page because things change and this kind of stuff can really, can really ch- make people's goals in life completely flip. So it's, it's nice to be able to like meet with each person and make sure that um, you're still on the same page and you're still working towards the same things and stuff like that. But yeah, I think those are the most important. And then I think the third one would just be, you have to work on it every day. You know, even if you're not there, you need to make sure that who is there, your manager or your front desk or your stylist, that they're also working on that, you know, cultivating that culture every day. Cause it's, it's kind of like a relationship. You can't just, uh, you can't just like set it and have it work. You have to work on it. So, mm. yeah. Okay. So when you say making sure you've all got the same values, mm-hmm. what, what, what's your number one value as a team? Ooh, so I've never numbered them. Uh, we definitely, <laughs> I think communication and trust and all those okay. are always yeah. the top two or three. Um, but I think now we've started incorporating more of just like the products that we carry and the companies that we work with and mm-hmm. the way that we, you know, work th- the way we like go through our day and how we approach each day and how we want, um, to target the clients that we want in our chair. I think that's always, that's what we've really been focusing on since we got back um, from closing down. Yeah. So, so uh, you've, that's an interesting point, what you just said about the companies that you work with, you know, aligning yourself with brands that have similar companies, uh, similar values. Uh, and I noticed from looking at your, um, the retail lines that you have, I didn't know of any of them. Uh, so are they, are they local brands that you particularly we're all, we're want all to? Based in the US. Right. Um, none of them are like local, local, but they all are based in the US and they're all made in the USA. And uh, they're all very small, small yeah. companies um, where I know each of the owners, if I haven't met them personally, I've talked to them like this on Zoom. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, they're very, they're very, it's all clean beauty, non-toxic. Uh, refillable glass bottle type stuff. So, and, um, you know, and also inclusive, like we can use Mm -hmm. one of our lines on no matter what kind of texture you have, uh, we could use that shampoo and conditioner on anybody. And so I think that's been, uh, kind of the word of the year was alignment and making sure that we are in alignment. Cause I did, I did have to learn that the hard way. I worked with a couple huge brands that just, it just doesn't, it didn't make sense anymore. They weren't in alignment with where we were going. So 
And that's always a hard thing to do is to like shift your whole entire brands and get rid of everything that you've ever used. But uh, we did. And so now we have just three small lines that I think are perfect. Uh, I, I feel like we've eliminated all the excess and now we uh, could focus on what we love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's going to become even more important for salon owners that they want to be aligned with companies that have got the same values as them and, uh, you know, that care about the planet and care about giving back and care about people, not just care about the bottom line and uh, return on investment for shareholders. Yeah. Um, so, and I know Austin is, is as a city is very big on that. Um, uh, you know, I do a lot of work with Paul Mitchell and John Paul lives in Austin and I know that, you know, that's one of the reasons he lives there. Um, okay. So I, I also know that you have, I saw on your website or social media somewhere that you've entered into team of the year for oh. Naha, um, are, are awards important to you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, I didn't, is that a first that you've done that? That you've entered well, into that? This is our second time entering into the team of the year. Uh, we entered yeah. it last year as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think they are important. It, it pushes you in a way and it grows your eye in a way that you don't really get to do daily behind the chair. Um, and then you get to, you're, you're also getting to do something that you never would be able to do behind the chair. It's, you know, very creative work where you get to express yourself. And yeah. then... And then in turn, you're putting yourself out there and being vulnerable by like entering into a competition and um, you never know what can happen. You know, a lot of people think it could never happen to you, but it totally can. So I yeah. think it's, I think it's a great thing to do. And are you, are your team motivated by that? Yeah. I mean, that's something that we're still working on. I've got like some, some of my team is very, um, you know, experienced with the editorial world. They've worked with photographers and models. And then I've got some like younger, younger girls on my team that, you know, maybe more want to assist and learn how to, you know, do all this. Cause we've taken so many editorial classes and spent thousands of dollars going to New York, learning how to like do these, do these very intricate hairs. But, you know, when you take it back to the, to the real world and to try to do it yourself. It can be very intimidating and mm. uh, very expensive when you start putting a collection together, like for Naha. Um, but it's it's so worth it. And then hopefully one day we can have them all hanging on our hanging on our walls. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Do you um you know with a younger team of people? One of the things you alluded to before was about um people working three four days a week, having a lot of flexibility. You know about their schedule, etc. I mean, you're young as well, but I suppose what I'm asking you about is, you know, w when I was in business, people didn't do that, okay? And there's a new generation of people now, you know, millennials and Gen Z, who are very much questioning work. Like, mm -hmm. like why do I want to be fully booked all day, every day, five days a week and do a 40-hour week? I actually don't want to live like that. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and people saying, you know, well, well, I want an hour for a, for every haircut. I don't want to have to rush it. And I, and I don't want to work five days a week and I, I want to be able to leave at three to pick up my kids, blah, blah, blah. And I'm cool with all of that, but there's, there's one little problem. And the problem is that on the other end of it, they say, but I still want to get a thousand dollars a week. <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you balance all that today as a business owner? 
that's probably the hardest part of what I do, I think. Um, because I, I love making people happy. Like maybe I'm a people pleaser. I'm not really sure. Probably I am. But um, especially when it comes to my team, I know that when I was before, before I had the salon, I was only working four days a week and I loved it. And I said, I'll never go back to five days a week. And so when I, you know, started hiring people, I made sure that, that they were charging enough to where they could work four days a week. I mean, you know, we have this like issue in our industry with charging, I think setting prices and only giving ourselves $5 a raise every year for a haircut. Like that doesn't really get you very far $5 a year. You know what I mean? So I think, um, I think we've really been, that's, that's probably the most progressive thing we've done is really changed our pricing structure so that people can work four days a week because yeah, I don't have anybody. I think that really wants to maybe during COVID things are a little different, but I think when things settle down and we can go back to normal schedules, um, I think that nobody would want to work five days a week anymore. And it, and it, once they get a taste of that, it's over, you know, um, especially when you are making enough just as much as you were if you were working five days a week. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so money is not the main motivator for them. It's more yeah. the flexibility and the time. And they accept the fact that if I'm only going to work four days a week and, you know, 30 hours or whatever it is, that I might earn a little bit less, might, mm-hmm. uh, but they're cool with that as well. Totally. It's all about life balance. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think we've always been flexible enough too, to where if they needed to work more, they know they can come in on a day that we're closed and I'm totally open to them, especially right now, you know, if yeah. they need to make extra money, like they could do that. So. Yeah. 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 Okay. So tell me about that. And, and I might be reading into this completely wrong, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. I, because we haven't met, like I say, I haven't been into your salon, but I just see your social media. So I get this impression and, and your website and the brief conversations we've had it, it is, is that you are, very girl power for want of a better word. And I'm totally up for that. There's nothing wrong with that. I just want to make that clear. Okay. Um, and, and there's even a picture on your, your Instagram feed where all the girls are, and they're all wearing black and it says something about the, the coven of witches or whatever. And I know that from talking to you that you've talked about tarot and you're very spiritual and there's an astrology thing going on that you've already alluded to once or twice. Um, I suppose what I'm asking you is this is how, purposeful is this female energy like if a guy came looking for a job would you be employing him or is it like a an unwritten thing that we aren't we're only girls here this is how it is this is you know talk to us about that well i mean to be honest we i i love some male energy and some you know i i we've always we've, we've actually had a couple of of guys that have worked there and i love it um they've never been like overly masculine, which is nice, you know? Um, so, but no, I feel like even if we had, um, somebody coming in that wasn't a woman that had feminine energy, I would love it. So I think I love the feminine energy, but I also love the idea of like being fluid and knowing that, um, we can definitely be a, a great place for anybody. And we're not, we're not like unicorns feminine. We're more definitely on the witchy side. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of those alignment things is it's easy to attract like-minded people um, when we when you, we just put it out there and, you know, we're not weird about it. But I think that one video you're talking about is um, for the Salon Today um, Awards, the top 200 awards. Mm-hmm. We had to make a little video and I just 
struggled with trying to make it not cheesy because you have to put a song with it and you have to show your team and be excited okay. that you won. And so, yeah, I was really, um, inspired by my little, my front desk manager, who is an amazing videographer and we got real weird and witchy with it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's who we would like to be every day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Good. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, we, we're living in this time we're living in a, I mean, 2020 has just been, you know, what can you say about 2020? <laughs> Sooner it's finished, the better. Um, but one of the things, aside from COVID, obviously, is the the social unrest, the Black Lives Matter, all that sort of thing that's been happening and, and still happening, unfortunately, um, all over the world, not just in the United States. Um, and every time we've talked, the word inclusivity and diversity has come up really quickly um, and very naturally. And you look through your team and there's a lot of inclusivity and diversity there. And, and it just, it, it's sort of everywhere without you having to say it, you know. Um, and that's sort of what I mean by it's very modern. Um, I hope I'm not sounding old by saying that, but a lot of places are not like that. Yeah. And you're like it without trying from what I see. You know what I mean? It's, you're just very inclusive and there's a lot of diversity and a lot of acceptance. And, and that's just who you are in the hair that you do, the people you employ, I dare say, the clients you attract and your whole approach to, you know, to life. And I think that's amazing. So talk to us a little bit about that. Like, how do you create that? Um, that's part of your culture, I suppose. How do you create that? Why is that important to you? And, and, and how do you go about doing it? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for saying that. That's a, that's a big compliment. I feel like it maybe happened a little naturally, you know, but especially nowadays, I feel like we still have, I, you know, that's been a big mission of mine since quarantine, since this whole like social unrest has happened. It's been very much a focus to, to just not do what we've been doing, but to do more. And, you know, we can always do more. And I feel like we still have a a shit ton of work to do, to be honest. Um, you know, even with learning how to do all hair, you know, I feel mm -hmm. like it's easy to get really like, Oh, we just didn't learn that in school. But you know, when you've been doing hair for 10, 20 years and you haven't taken it upon yourself to really learn how to do all hair, then it does call it kind of fall on you. So as a business owner, I was like, hell no, we are definitely making that a focus. We, you know, even though we, we have been doing textures and really been embracing curls for, you know, a good year or two or three, I feel like it, um, it definitely wasn't enough. And I, you know, I think now focus is the education is going to be a lot more, um, you know, maybe, maybe a lot more textured hair education with curly, uh, cutting and coloring because we definitely need more coloring education uh, as well. But yeah, I feel like that's just been, that's been my number one, I think since opening back up and we were able to give back a couple thousand dollars when we first opened in June to a couple local organizations for Austin justice coalition. And that was really amazing. So I think we're trying, we're doing our best as a business to like, do what we can behind the chair to make sure that everyone, no matter who they are, feels safe in any chair in my salon, not just mm -hmm. my chair or my one stylish chair, my other stylish chair, but every single chair. Cause mm -hmm. you know, even if you don't specialize in something, I feel very strongly that you should still be uh, learning and knowing how to do anything and be prepared, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh. Yeah, exactly. That's good. Um, let's talk about social media for a minute, uh, yeah. because you're, it's obviously a, a big part of your business, and uh, I think I think you do it really well. Um, how has social media impacted on the business? Mm. Oh my! I mean, I feel you, like it's do, been. Go do, ahead. do you get a lot of new business from through yeah. social through Instagram? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say it's you know I've never really done like the numbers, but we've never really marketed anywhere else. You know, like, of course, we have a Yelp and we have a Google and all that stuff, but, um, and a Facebook, but Instagram's definitely the, the main, the main focus. And I would say, I mean, if I had to just guess, it's probably 80 to 90% of our clients find us on Instagram. Um, yeah. And now you're able to book straight through Instagram. So it actually Mm -hmm. shows on your software, like where they came from. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's basically, if you're not doing that, I don't know. I don't know how I don't, I wouldn't know how else to do it. <laughs> mm. So it's pretty easy though. When you have an, a team who is constantly doing amazing work every day, they're like blowing my mind. And so I get, I get very inspired with doing Raven Rose Instagram versus my own. Cause I'm not doing a lot of hair these days. Um, but yeah, it's very easy to just walk around and be like, Oh my God, there's just transformations happening all the time. And yeah. I get excited and energized to post on our Instagram. So, yeah. So do you, do you do it yourself? Mm-hmm. You look after Raven Row Instagram. Yeah. You do it all. Well, right. I don't do a lot of the Insta stories, which is my amazing front desk team. They've kind of like taken over the Insta stories and all that stuff. And that's where it's really fun and interactive every day. But I kind of, I'm the one who does the, like the static post. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, how do you set guidelines around the salon's social media? I mean, it's that, you know, it's that whole thing that everywhere around the world, they talk about is whose client is it? The salon's client, the stylist client. If it's a booth rental salon, it's quite clear. It's the stylist client. You know, they go, they take the clients with them. When you have a commission-based salon, there's always this sort of muddy area um, about that. And and some salons more so than others. Um, I notice on your um, website, when I click on each individual, it takes me to their profile, their price list, and their their own work with their own Instagram tag. And there is no Raven Row. It's their own Instagram page. How do you how do you set guidelines around that? A lot of salon owners are challenged with that. Yeah. I mean I think that's part of the that's part of what is just not working anymore. Like if yeah. I truly feel like if you have a salon and you're trying to control uh, their Insta, you know, their social media and their clients, like you're going to fail, mm. you know, yeah. these days Horrible. clients are going to find them no matter what. Mm. And, you know, we have clients that find the stylist through, you know, Instagram and they come in and they also love the salon. And then, you know, one day if that stylist decides to leave, I'm not going to be surprised if they follow or they might stay, who knows? But like, that's where I think the old way of, running a salon is just doesn't work anymore with social media. And I know I went through that when I left my salon before I opened Raven row, of course it was just like that. They tried to take all my clients and I was like, good luck. I got social media. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, before social media, it was a different game. I mean, now you can put in place whatever you want and, uh, no one owns the client. The client owns himself and they'll choose to go wherever they want to. And if the relationship is stronger with the stylist, there's really ultimately nothing you can do about it. Right. So, um, yeah, again, that's a very modern way of thinking that a lot of salon owners 
still really grapple with. And I can understand why they grapple with it. You know, that they employ someone with nothing and they build them up and they advertise and market and train them. And then they've got a clientele and they want to leave and walk around the corner. But that is, and take the clients with them. But uh, it's going to happen anyway. And it's when you try and stop it that you end up with a lot of animosity around it. Um, But I was just curious as to what the guidelines are that you have around that. And basically you have none. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because I know that they could they could leave tomorrow and go rent down the street and do whatever they want. And you know what I mean? I'm not going to – I'm just – I'd rather not try to stunt someone's growth and instead focus on trying to better the business because yeah. we can – as long as the stylists are doing their best and we're doing our best, then we're just all winning to me. Mm. So. Do, do you have a, a good staff retention? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I the answer before you said it. <laughs> I've been um, getting resumes for at least a year and a half now that I've had to just tell them, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, we just haven't had any openings in a long time. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could open seven days a week, but I don't want to do that. Sure. So. Okay. Yeah. What, what do you think about the sort of changing business models that you've seen in your career? Um. I mean, I've been in this industry a lot longer than you, but, you know, the salon suite thing and the the whole shifting of, you know, the, the route to market for products now, everything is moving. It's always moving, but it, it's very, you know, prevalent that business models are changing and how people access services are changing and how people access product is, is changing. How do you... You know, how do you feel about that as a as a, a young business owner with a successful business? How do you you know navigate those waters, so to speak? You know, it's there's like fear there. Um, I think it's really easy to to get fearful and be like, oh God, is are the commission salons dying? You know, I mean, I I feel like I hear more and more commission salon owners talking about that very thing. Like, I just built all my stylists up and they just left, and now I have to do it again. And I'm like, ugh. but also if you're growing your business, you should have people that would want to come work there. If that does happen, then you should, mm. you know what I mean? I feel like you should never be just dependent on what's only in your business at that time. But I also feel like the reason why people are leaving commission salons so much and going to rental, it's kind of like, it's like a side effect of like failed commission salons. Yeah. And not evolving and not adapting and realizing that people want different things and they don't, Mm. they don't want double booking and they don't want to charge the same price for two years. You know, they want to be able to charge whatever they want and work whenever they want. And, you know, if you work in a salon that works with you, it should, it's like a win-win again for, I think, both parties. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it wouldn't be so popular to rent a suite if more commission salons took care of their employees and offered, you know, health benefits even like that's not, that shouldn't be so taboo. I don't think. Mm. And Uh, you do that in your business? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. I think, I think especially these days (laughs) during COVID times, it's, it's not something that um, I think a lot of people are going to wake up to now um, Mm. and realize that they, you know, I know a lot of suite renters and, and booth renters that, during this whole COVID um, time didn't get any assistance and did mm. not have health insurance and did not have all that stuff. So I think there's also um, this like new influx of renters who also want to be commissioned again. 
or they want to be taken care of. They want to have someone to help lead them to where they need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've managed to find a balance between giving them the flexibility they want Mm -hmm. and the money they want and the benefits to keep them sweet and you making a profit. Yes. That's the, that's the Holy grail, you know? I mean, it sounds, it sounds remarkable. I mean, there's, it's not easy, but I think Mm. there's a way. And I mean, I'd be willing to help anybody if they wanted to talk to me about it, but I definitely have had help along the way and invested a lot into learning about, you know, staying progressive and on top of it and really listening to my people and really knowing what they want and trying to make it happen. If it can for both of us. So exactly. What's your biggest strength? Mm Hmm. Probably, probably being adaptable. I'm very good at taking risk and, um, you know, not saying I don't have any fear. I have a ton of fear, but I am very good at taking a risk and learning how to like maneuver through and learn how to navigate things and then come out much more knowledgeable on the other side and then be able to make a decision. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like um, I'm not scared to take those risks. And I think that's what's kind of led us here. Yeah. What, what, what's the most important lesson that you've learned in, in life or business? Oh, oh, I got one. To listen to my intuition. Um, I've lost, you know, you go through like moves and stuff like that, but I've lost touch with it a few times and I've always come back to it and realized like if I would have just listened to my intuition, I would have known because I knew this a year ago and then now it's happening. So I think it's just... Um, to really stay in tune and like stand in my power and always know that like, I truly know what's best if I just do it and quit letting outside influences and all that stuff kind of make decisions for me. Yeah. 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 You're, you're very connected, aren't you? Like, you know, you're very intuitive, spiritual, you know, tarot, whatever, whatever we're going to call it. Um, and that's good. I mean, that's a great answer. And, and again, I think there's a, there's a feminine energy about that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that's, I think that's great. Is there anything you wish? Well, not, is there anything, what do you wish you were better at? Probably also making decisions. I mm-hmm. have a hard time, um, well, you know, one day I'll make a decision. The next day I'll wake up and be like, oh no, you know, and that's just fear. Um, so I think not letting that fear creep in and just, again, making a damn decision. <laughs> uh, but I do get decision fatigue. I think there's such thing as that, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, totally, <laughs> I do that all the time. I sit, I sit down and my wife or my daughters or what are we going to watch on TV? I said, I don't care. You decide anything. Yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to decide, you know, <laughs> just someone else make a decision, you know, yeah. um, because if I do it, then, you know, it'll turn into a discussion and I don't even want the discussion. I just, I just wanted put something, I don't care what it is. I'll watch the advertisements for an hour, you know, <laughs> as long as someone else has made that decision. Okay. So, yeah, we need to start wrapping up. But if if you were listening to this and you were at beauty school, you know, young hairdresser at the end of your training in the United States or or elsewhere, you know, finishing an apprenticeship or whatever, wh- what advice would you give to that person about this industry and about their dream and you know what this what this industry offers them? Well, I think in that way, I still maybe am a little old school. <laughs> I think you really got to put in the work for the first you know, good, good year, two, three years. Um, it's not something that you can, I feel like these days it's like people want like 
instant gratification and they want mm. to like, you know, get there, but you're never there. Like I'm not there. Mm. You know, I still don't feel like I've made it and you never will. So I think it's important to, to stay open-minded um, and not just dive into one thing, but to learn all hair. And then after you learn all things, then you can decide what you really want to do, you know, and focus on and like specialize in, but yeah. to not come out like wheels blazing, like I want to do this and this is what I'm good at, but to really learn all things. Cause there's so much to learn. I mean, I'm 20 years in and I'm still learning new things all the time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Good advice. And, uh, and you're dead right. I mean, I, I, I often sort of preface it by saying that it's not their fault that they were born into this world. You know, if you're 17 now or 20 or whatever it is, you've never known a world without the internet. You know, uh, Instagram's 10 years old. So if you're 20, you know, you've had Instagram half your life. It's just always been, you've had Facebook all your life pretty much, you know, and so they're in this world of instant gratification, YouTube, instant learning, you know, you can be standing there with your phone. I mean, all this stuff is like, oh my God stuff. If you tried to explain that to someone 10 years ago or 20 years ago, they would just look at you like you were an idiot. And yet now we all just take it for granted. So people are born into this world of instant. And so they expect everything to be instant. And, and ultimately, it's exactly what you said. It, it, it isn't instant. You've got to put in the hours. You've got to put in the hard yards. You've got to put in the work. And I think that is what frustrates at both ends of the scale. It frustrates the people that have been in the industry for 30, 40 years, whatever, but it also frustrates the people that are just coming out of beauty schools. They can't understand why they can't have it now and they want it now. Um, and, and in their defense, they can get a lot more of it a lot quicker now because it is instant. They can be standing at the bus stop with their phone, learning a haircut where for free, whereas you didn't used to be able to do that, you know, and you could be getting clients where you're standing at the bus stop with your phone, marketing to them, you know, anyway, I, I diverse. Um, but listen, it's been, it's been fantastic talking to you and, um, you know, getting an insight into your business and how you think. Uh, wh whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social channels? Tell us what they are. I'll make sure I also put them in the show notes on the podcast, but uh, uh, just tell us what your Instagram and uh, social channels, what their uh, handles are. Yeah. So the salon is um, at Raven Row Salon and my personal is at So Raver Lee. <laughs> Same thing as uh, we're on Instagram 99% of the time. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Raven Row Salon. Right. Well, I'm sure there'll be people from all over the world um, checking your Instagram and, <laughs> and Facebook feeds out. So uh, uh, if you're listening to this podcast with Raven and you've enjoyed it, then please do me a favor and take a screenshot on your phone and uh, share it to your Instagram stories uh, and let us know what you thought of it. Uh, so to wrap up, Raven, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success. 